reading from Paul's letters to the Colossians, first chapter, verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven and earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The word of the Lord. If you've ever attempted anything difficult, you know at times it's easy to quit. You've heard the phrase, throw in the towel, and that phrase originated in the early 1900s in the boxing ring, actually. The coach or manager of the fighter, once he saw his fighter was done, would take the towel and throw it in the ring. And throwing the ring in the towel meant the fight was over, the boxer was done, there was no more fight left in him. At some point in your life, if you're not there today, you'll get there, where the fight leaves, where you wonder if you can take a next step in front of you. Looking at my own life and at the lives of others that I've been privileged through the years to counsel, I've concluded that people quit God and church, their faith, for one or more of the following reasons. I'll list them. We'll put them in detail on our website or on Facebook later. Defeat. I am not who others think I am. The person who battles inner defeat. Discouragement. I am not who I want to be. Doubt. Jesus isn't who I thought he was. Disappointment. Others are not who I thought they were. Disillusionment. Being a Christian isn't what I thought it was going to be. People quit because of defeat, of discouragement, of doubt, of disappointment. And disillusionment. Maybe you check one or more of those boxes this morning, and if so, this sermon is for you. Paul writes to the Colossians in answer to this about the greatness of Jesus. And as I shared a couple weeks ago, they're facing two heresies that are plaguing the Colossian church. Pluralism, legalism. Legalism says Jesus plus anything. Jesus plus rules and regulations equals 
faith. Pluralism is Jesus and anything. I'll have a little bit of Jesus to go with my little bit of whatever it may be. So pluralism and legalism can easily end up uh, plaguing any of us. And as a result, they're tempted to quit. Uh, Verse 23, at the end of what many believe is a hymn, says, if indeed you continue in the faith. Paul wouldn't have written that if they weren't in danger of quitting. I wouldn't be preaching this morning if some of you were not in danger of quitting. You wouldn't be listening this morning if you were not in some way in danger of abandoning a faith that perhaps you've had since you were a child. And all of a sudden, because of some of these things, disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement, defeat, you have walked in here this morning to give it one last try, to give it one last attempt If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. All right, so it's important to know what continuing is. Continuing isn't checking things off a list, is it? Continuing is sticking to the gospel. Sticking to the hope of the gospel. Paul says, which has been proclaimed under heaven. And so this hymn that many think it is, is interesting. It has a stanza, it has a bridge in the middle, and it has another stanza. And so I want you to see it because the bridge or uh, in the middle of it is rather remarkable. The first stanza is what Jesus did in creation. The second stanza is what Jesus did to recreate. We might call it redeem, but the bridge in the middle is unbelievable. Paul says that Jesus is before all things, all right? Now, you've got to understand the Jesus he's talking about recently died on a cross, was stripped naked, was uh, uh, hung in shame on a cross, and and Paul says he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. As one commentator says, the startling claim that a man who had recently lived and been crucified by the Romans was the one in whom all things are held together, it's unbelievable. That's our faith, folks. We believe in a Jesus who died and resurrected, and we believe that he existed before he came to earth. And when he came to earth, he became a man. And when he became a man, he did it sinlessly, and he died on the cross, and he resurrected. And before he came, all the universe was held together by him. And after he came, all the universe is still held together by him. That's the Christian faith. You say, Jerry, that's ridiculous. Well, join in. You say, Jerry, that makes no sense. That's why it's called faith. That's what we believe. So Paul gives the Colossians then from this great hymn three reasons why they can continue. I've worded our our sermon divisions or our sermon points as we say in, in sermon prep class. I've worded them in the first person because if you know Jesus, you can own these this morning. Number one, I can continue because I am in Jesus. Verses 16 and 19. 
He is the image of the invisible God, talking of Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, that little word by, some of your Bibles will do a little footnote under that, and it says in. It's the word in. It's literally E-N in Greek. And so it is in, and it can also mean by. In him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Jesus is the image. He is the image of the invisible God. That word image, I'll say in the Greek, not to nerd up anything, but because you will know what it means in English. E-I-K-O-N, icon. Jesus is the icon. He is the image of the invisible God. An image is something that looks like or represents something else. In other words, in Jesus, we see God. You say, how do you know? John 1.18, John, who was an eyewitness of Jesus, writes, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So, so we've not been able to see God with our eyes until God became a man in Jesus. And when God became a man in Jesus, we're able to see God in our eyes. Now let's push rewind all the way back to Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and without void. And, and darkness covered the surface of the deep. And God said, let us, let, let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, like man, make man in our what? Image. Well, whose image are you and I in? We're made in the image of the one who is in the image of who is the image of God. So we're made in the image of Jesus, who is the icon or the image of God. You say, Jerry, wow, this is like some deep theology so early in the morning. This is good for us, isn't it? This kind of wakes us up. I think sometimes, sometimes the reason we tend to drift in our faith is that it's so shallow. We're not drifting, we're just stuck. We're not in deep enough water to drift. And we need to get out into some deep theological waters and figure out what we believe and why. For in him, he is the firstborn of all creation. All right, so what does firstborn mean? Now, Jehovah's Witnesses love to get a hold of this word and go, oh, if Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, this means he was born, which means he was not God in human flesh. If a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door, this is a key verse they're going to use. Well, what does it mean to be the firstborn of all creation? All you got to do is use the Bible to understand the Bible. Go back to the book of Exodus, and you'll discover that Israel is called the firstborn. Israel, the God's people are called the first, but it means preeminent. It means the, the first, it's, it's symbolic or metaphorical. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So he was the God man. He was fully God and he was fully man. He was so much man that he fell asleep in the boat. Some of you who've been around here know where I'm about to go with this because I could just clear off a spot and preach. He was fully man that he fell asleep in the boat, but fully God that when the disciples were terrified, they woke him and said, do you not care that we're dying? And he spoke and the storm calmed down, didn't it, church? He was the God-man. He was so much man that he asked the demoniac his name. And he was so much God that he looked at that unnamed demoniac who was only defined by the legions of demons who inhabited his body. And he spoke and he said to those demons, come out of him. And those demons came out of him right away. He was the God-man. Amen? 
He was so much man that he felt power go out of his body when that widow who had been sick for 12 years touched only the hem of his garment. But he was so much God that when she touched his garment, he, she was made whole. Jesus was the God-man. He was so much man that he cared that Jairus' daughter was hungry, but so much God that he simply lifted her up by the hand and he brought her back to life. He was the God man. He was so much man that he even paid his taxes and so much God that he told Peter to go fish and catch a fish and he'd find in the fish's mouth the money to pay his taxes. You say, Jerry, do you believe that? Absolutely, I do. Still wish it worked today. I do. Yes. He was so much man that he got hungry when he was tempted. But he was so much God that he took a little boy's lunch and turned it into enough food to feed 5,000 men plus all the women and the children. He was so much man that he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. And he was so much God that he spoke into that tomb and called the name of Lazarus. And Lazarus came out of that tomb. He was so much man that he screamed to his father at the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But so much God that he spoke three words in English, one word in Greek. It is finished. And at that moment, redemption was gained. For everybody who will come to God by faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus was the God-man. We've come to worship him today, haven't we? He is the God-man. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I can continue because I am in that Jesus. When I come to God by faith in Jesus, I find myself in him. But secondly, I could continue because I was created and recreated through him. Let's listen again. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus was the spoken word of creation. John, again, gives us insight. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word, verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. Have you ever been to a car show, maybe an antique car show, where you'll find Mustangs and Chevelles and Ford Fairlanes and old trucks. Uh, what, what happens? I, I was invited a couple years ago to pray at a car show, and I, I barely know how to put gas in mine, so I don't have a clue what it takes to get that car in that kind of shape. Recently, I saw Daryl Gaddy pulling his Mustang. It looks like a 65 or a 66. I don't know which it is, but it, it's going to be beautiful. And I saw him pulling it, and I saw him the next Sunday, and he said, I said, man, that looks good. He said, it should by now. <laughs> it's taken a long time. Um, 
But what I've noticed or what I noticed that day at that car show is that those people who've worked on those cars, I mean, they proudly stand beside them. And they're thrilled when somebody looks at their car or opens the doors or checks it all out because blood, sweat, and tears have gone into that, that car of theirs. Why? Ownership is costly. It's costly. If you don't believe me, quit renting and buy your own place. When you rent, it's costly to the landlord. When you buy it, uh, you're doing the repairs, aren't you? Ownership is costly. It's one thing if Jesus is the image of the invisible God, which he is. It's another thing if that Jesus is willing to create. Because ownership is costly. What did it cost Jesus to create? It cost him his life. When Jesus said, let us make man, it meant that he would become one with that word. And he would eventually die as one by crucifixion. That's what it cost Jesus to create. Now, if you're a parent, you get this a little bit. Because when you decide to have kids, to quote Wendy's grandmother, Go-Go, when you got kids, that's all you got. <laughs> right? Everything in your world changes, doesn't it? Everything. You used to sleep. You used to just to go out whenever you wanted, wherever you wanted, however you wanted, and all of a sudden, no. No, that doesn't happen anymore. Everything in your world changes. When kids come in the picture, it's costly to create, isn't it? And for Jesus, it was ultimately costly. Uh, verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. What things? The things he had created. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That word reconcile means restoration of fellowship between God and sinners. When Adam and Eve sinned, fellowship was broken. There was a distance created between uh, us and God. A distance that exists today if you sin. All things, one day, all of creation will be reconciled. Meaning that, here's my understanding, don't have a lot of time to develop it, but I think if you look at the word new, behold, I am making all things new in the book of Revelation. I think it is existing earth with purifying fire and that purifying fire then makes this existing earth new. Meaning if you've gone to the grandest places and seen the greatest scenes, one day you'll see them again, but new. 
If you've seen sunsets that blew your mind or watched the sun rise over the ocean, one day I am convinced when God makes it all new, you'll look at it with amazement. That's what it means to reconcile. The kingdom of God is perfect harmony with God, creation, and others. That's what it looked like in the garden. But I want to point to something beyond creation because I think maybe we lose sight of this, or at least I know I do. And perhaps you'll find that you join me in this. He is the head of the body, the church. He created creation, and it was by him, for him, and through him. But then he created the church by his death and his resurrection, which was also by him, through him, and for him. But there's something different about it. Uh, How is it different? It's the same difference in the two examples I've given you already. It's one thing to put your work into a car and call it a baby. It's another thing to give birth to one, because that's a real baby. One thing uh, you, you, you might fight for, but the other thing you die for. Jesus, when he created the heavens and the earth, that's one thing for that to go awry as it has with weeds now infesting what once weeds did not infest. But it's a completely different thing when his humanity does it, people he created. And it's, a, it's also significant then that being the head of the church. And when you come to Christ, you're part of the church then he feels what you feel. There's a different connectivity from Jesus to the church than Jesus to the Grand Canyon. Maybe we forget that. If he's the head of the body, then there's an organic relationship between Jesus and you unbroken. Because you're his body, and he is the head. What does that mean? Tempted by defeat, I am not who others think I am. The reality is not that you aren't who you think you are. You're more. You are the body of Christ. The head of which is the church, the head of which is Christ, the church. You belong. This is why Paul can write with assurance in Romans eight thirty one. I love these verses. What then shall we say to these things? If God is what for us, who can be what? That's right. Wow. If God is for us. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against? Put your name in there. All right, let's try that. Because this is about you. If you belong to Jesus, so we're going to do it on the count of three. I'm going to say who shall bring any charge against? And just put your name in there. Who shall bring any charge against? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Say your name. Who is to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. No. You can continue because... Jesus created you knowing the cost and he recreated you by redeeming you, by dying for you on the cross. Thirdly, I can continue because now I live for him. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And then verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It's all for Jesus. Every bit of it's for him. It was created for him in the first place, and and it's recreated for him in the second. So why do we need to be reconciled? Remember what the word means, the restoration of fellowship between God and sinners. We need to be reconciled because according to verse 21, we were hostile, alienated, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So here's the newsflash. I love you, I love you. But we live in a world that says we can't speak anything negatively about sin and sinful people. We can't do it. As a matter of fact, in some arenas, it becomes hate speech. Just a few weeks ago, we had a bishop of the Anglican Church of Australia that happened in here. Like, How in the world do you end up here? Four-week vacation in the States, driving from Tennessee to Boone, uh, Googled, found us, landed here. I met him out front as he was leaving. Alan Michael preached that day, and he talked about the heresy that came from Alan Michael. I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) So so at any rate, he uh, stopped, and we talked. I went to Google him then. I thought, who is this guy here? He's got 57 churches, evangelical, uh, uh, Anglican church 57 of them under him in Australia. Uh, Listen to an interview where he sat down to talk because in Australia right now, they're battling the reality that if from the pulpit someone were to speak of sexuality in any way that goes against the cultural uh, norms that now exist, it's called hate speech and they can put them in jail. And this bishop has written about it, being interviewed about it. So need to talk to him. The reality is, whether you are like it or not, there's a whole arena, an array of sin that we come into the world with. We're born with it. We battle different things. Uh, the song we sing, I speak Jesus, lists them out, doesn't it? Addiction, anxiety, fear. There's a host of them. Romans 8, but 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. If you're ever going to come to Jesus, it's going to cause you to realize you're a sinner. You just have to. Christ died for us. So who doesn't want to live for a God like that? Years ago, I was in Birmingham, maybe 20 some years ago, Birmingham, Alabama, with a family who had a family member who was having a heart transplant. 
as, as we waited, as the heart came in, we heard the helicopter land with the heart. I sat there in that waiting room and thought as that man was having a heart transplant. Could you imagine not, could you imagine living the rest of your life not thinking every day about the person whose heart beats in your chest? I just, I think every day of my life, I would think about the person who made a decision at some point that upon his or her death, if their heart was in good shape, somebody else could have it. Jesus died to give you his. And if you know him, it beats in your chest. And you can keep going. You can continue because of that. You can keep going because of that. Who doesn't want to live for a God like that? Let's get back to our reasons. Defeat. I am not who others think I am. Some of you are there. You feel like a hypocrite this morning? Because you think if others knew what you did last night, they'd wonder why you're sitting here this morning. Would you please listen to the Spirit? convict and also encourage discouragement I am not who I want to be maybe I could put you in good company how many of you would say I'm not who I want to be yeah we've got space don't we we all have space doubt Jesus isn't who I thought he was I lived there for a bit of my college career and Jesus lived with me through it. Disappointment. They weren't who I thought they were and all God's people said, amen. They aren't. Neither are you. If, if you've come to church to find a bunch of perfect people doing it right, you, this ain't it. Nor will it ever be. Disillusionment, being a Christian isn't what I thought it was. Well, then maybe that's a good thing. If you discover Christ in it. So there's something interesting that happens in this text. And we're going to close with a song we've just sung because perhaps you can sing it with a bit more conviction. Uh, could we, Neil, put the words of the text up here again? Um, and I'm going to, we're going to read it all together. Or I'm going to read it, but when we get to the word all, you say it out loud. See if you see a pattern here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. For by him, 
things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Things were created through him and for him. And he is before and in him. Hold to, uh, things hold together and he is the head of the body of the church he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in uh, yeah I'll trick you on that one let's go back that in let's do it again that in he might be preeminent let's keep going for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Something tells me that Paul wanted to make a point about the tiny little word all. And that whatever doubt, discouragement, disillusionment, defeat you may feel, there is a Jesus who is over what class? He's over all of it. There is a Jesus who is, who is able to take care of how much of it? All of it. Would you stand and let's sing that one more time? 